want to continue our summer series, which is Seven Signs. The Gospel writer, the Apostle John, uses only seven of the miracles out of the many that Jesus performed, and then he calls them the signs, seven signs. Now, the sign was a semion, and uh, in Greek, it's semion, and it really means a sign, a miracle, indication, mark, token, something significant has happened. And uh, the, at the end of his uh, gospel, uh, John says, but these are written, these signs are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And he says many others were written. There are many others. If, if It would take a, a, a library to write about all the things Jesus did. But I chose these seven, these seven, so that you would know that Jesus is the Messiah is the anointed one, is the chosen one. He is the Son of God. He is God himself. And by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, we live in a culture that's always looking for a quick fix. We want our hamburgers and our pizzas now, not in half an hour. So how quick can you get it here? Why is it taking so long? And then talk about pain. We do not like pain. Fix it fast. You have a headache, fine medication. You got a backache, muscle pain, surgery. Fix it fast. And we're tempted to jump into the latest get-rich-quick scheme. We look for a financial miracle. We want the latest diet pill. We need a weight loss miracle. God, send us a miracle. Fix this for us. Fix it really, really, really quick. You know, it's like we've got a pill for everything. But this morning, I am going to talk about the gospel according to John chapter 5. So let's look at the gospel. Uh, there, we're going to skip over the second miraculous sign because that throws my whole thing out. Elizabeth was here last week, so we're going to jump to the third one. And the third one is, uh, there's a story, the second is a, a story about a guy, who was searching, a guy who was looking for his son to be healed, and I might come back to that one later, but today we're going to talk about a guy who was searching for a miracle for 38 years, waiting for a miracle, the third sign. We're going to concentrate on that this morning, waiting for a miracle, John chapter 5, beginning to read verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. So if you were to go to Jerusalem uh, during Jesus' day, you would enter through the Sheep Gate, and right there was the pool of Bethesda with five covered colonnades. For years, this was thought not to exist. Here's another reason that the Bible is inaccurate. It talks about the pool of Bethesda, and there is no pool. And there never was a pool with five colonnades, you know, and they were looking for a pentagram, like the Pentagon, five-sided. However, in the late 1800s, Conrad Schick discovered a large tank, which he contended was the Pool of Bethesda, and further archaeological excavation in the area in 1964 uncovered 
the second of two large pools with a dam in between. So here's a picture of what they think it would have looked like. It actually was two pools with another line in between. So there were five colonnades. That's uh, five covered areas. That's what, not what they were looking for, but that's what was there, and it, it was there. Bethesda means house of mercy. Archaeological evidence shows that the southern basin had very broad steps with landings going down into the water, indicating that it was most probably a mikvah. Now, a mikvah is a ritual bath for cleansing from uncleanness. In the Old Testament law, if you were unclean, uh, there would be unclean and holy things. And you were coming into the temple, you needed to be holy. And so you would go into the ritual mikvah bath and be immersed. And uh, they still do that in uh, synagogues today. Some synagogues will actually have a mikvah down in the basement area. Now, there are a whole lot of rules for a mikvah. For one rule that, they, uh, that is in the Mishnah today says it has to hold 144 eggs. That is a pretty small mikvah. <laughs> I mean, it's got to have, your whole body has to be immersed. So 140, 12 dozen eggs, get your whole body in there. Uh, a mikvah also has to have living water. It can't be a cistern. There has to be some sort of movement of water, fresh water, coming in all the time to have it be living water. And yes, you're thinking, this was the precursor to baptism and the baptism tanks in churches and going being baptized down at the river. That's why John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, used the Jordan River that was full immersion in the living water. And yes, he was John the Mikvah guy. The Bethesda was a mikvah similar to the Pool of Siloam, which we've talked about before. The northern basin in, in Bethesda, there was a pool that would fill up. It provided a reservoir to continually replenish and repurify the mikvah, the southern pool. And fresh water then flowed south through the dam. Jerusalem's pilgrims would flock to the Bethesda pool to purify themselves in these public mikvot so that uh, you could then enter the temple. At times, they would also use the mikvah to seek healing. Bethesda had five big porches, covered areas where the sun beating down, you could sit in the shade around the mikvah. And people had traveled miles just to be able to lay around the porches around this pool in, to, in order to seek healing. There was an urban legend that was going around at the time that a periodically an angel would fly over these pools and stir the waters. Perhaps that was when the dam actually opened and the water flowed through. And the legend was that the first person to get in the waters would receive instant miraculous healing. There was a chance. Just maybe I'm going to get the miracle I've always dreamed of having. In fact, we do find from archaeology, later Roman buildings during Emperor Hadrian's time were similar to a hospital. This was known as a healing place. Even hundreds of years later, in the Roman, when Rome took over, uh, it was still a healing area. There was a hospital here. Now, the star player in this story is a man who had been laying around the pool, unable to walk for 38 years. And when you consider that the average lifespan 
in those days was 40 years. This guy had been waiting for a miracle for 38 years, all of his life. A few years ago, uh, Pastor Chris Spalden in Oklahoma was uh, telling uh, his and his wife's story, and he was talking about when they first met. Now, his wife was disabled. She had uh, been hit by a drunk driver when she was 16 years old and lost the lower part of her right leg. Now, Chris tells the story. He says, uh, when Jody and I first started dating, we were having conversation. She said, Chris, uh, I've just got to be honest with you. It seems like you're pulling away from this relationship. Like, it doesn't mean very much to you. So what's going on? Chris kind of just bowed his head in shame, and he says, well, I'm really struggling with what it means to marry someone who is physically handicapped. Silence. She says, you know what? I don't know what makes you think that. For the past 10 years, I was dreaming about my knight in shining armor, and I discovered that he was bald at the age of 22. Chris is bald. Then she said, here's what you've got to understand, Chris. Everybody in the world is handicapped. Everyone should have a blue placard that they hang from the rearview mirror. The only difference between me and everyone else is that you can see my handicap. Everyone else has the ability to disguise theirs. In Campbell River, when I was interning up there, uh, we were talking about this story, and the junior youth pastor, Emma, she asked a 21st century question. What is the correct terminology today? Do we say handicap or do we say disability? So I looked it up and she was right. We no longer say handicapped person. The word we should use is disabled, but not a disabled person, but a person with a disability. And as I thought about it, I said, you know, it makes sense. That fits the sermon that we're looking at today. A person is not defined by their disability. A person is more important than their disability. And here's the important thing to come to grips with. We all have disabilities. I am physically handicapped when compared with others. 18 years ago, it was New Year's Day, and... Eldred and Greg said, let's go, we are on a hike, and the ladies can stay at home, but why don't we go on a hike this morning, it's not too cold, and I, and I thought, yeah, that's, that's okay, I, I like hiding, hiking, and what I forgot was, Eldred was Captain Eldred of the Canadian Air Force, he's a navigator in the jets that go flying around, and you have to be in tip-top shape for that, Greg biked to work every day, like pedal biked from Souk to Victoria. I'm 50 years old. They were waiting for the old man all the way up the mountain. I really felt like I had a physical disability. But there are also degrees of mental disabilities that we have. There is spiritual disabilities. When we talk about mind, soul, and strength, we all have some disability. So the question really comes down to, what is your disability? Often, our disabilities really come in in the spiritual realm. 
Sometimes we can be spiritually blind, blinded to the things of God. Maybe God is drawing you, but you're just not seeing it. God has created you with gifts and purpose, but you are living below the level that he's called you to live at. Maybe you're struggling with sin in your life. That's your disability. You're blinded. You're destroying your life. Destroying people that love you and care about you and you're spiritually lame. Or maybe you were sexually abused, verbally, physically, mentally. Maybe you were cheated on and you're hurting. Your heart is broken. You're not happy anymore. Maybe in some way you're spiritually paralyzed. You know, you look back on that first half of your life and you think to yourself at some point, man, there's got to be something more to life. Maybe you have spiritual apathy. You haven't felt a fresh touch from God month after month after month. Spiritually apathetic. Maybe you're struggling with an addiction and it has paralyzed you. What is your disability? Now the people sitting around this pool of Bethesda were struggling. They were waiting for healing in their life. And Jesus walks in, sees the pool sees the people with disabilities, and he walks straight over to this guy, struggling with his disability for 38 years. And verse 6, it says, Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time. He asked him, do you want to be well? Do you want to be well? That's the question. 38 years, the guy's been struggling with this. The average age expectancy was 40 years, so it's like it's his whole life, and he's getting near the end of his life. He hasn't been able to have a regular job. He hasn't been able to take care of himself. He's had to have people wait on him. He's been begging. He's struggling here, hoping for a miracle. And Jesus is asking him, do you want to be well? Because it is possible he's grown comfortable with his disability. Like Jesus approached this guy, and he's approaching you today with the same question, do you want to get well? Have you grown comfortable with your disability? Being spiritually apathetic? Seeking control in your life? Have you are comfortable with the negativity? With the subpar marriage? Maybe things that once broke your heart no longer phase you at all. And Jesus could be asking you exactly the same question. Do you want to get well? problem is your answer could be well actually no I know what God requires I know that he requires a hundred percent but right now I'm really only willing to give him about 50 others might think I will never be able to change I've struggled with this disability so long it's just part of me now what is your disability Jesus offers you a chance to change. Exodus 15, 26, it says, For I am the Lord who heals you. I am Jehovah Rapha, or Yahweh Rapha, the Lord, our healer. Jesus is our healer. There were children in a family. They were all sitting around the table, as families do, and you know they're kind of waiting for supper to get going, and Dad kind of has to make up something, or the kids will start fighting. So he says, Kylie, who's in the first grade, Kylie, how big is God? Kylie says, he's 300 meters round. She was uh, 21st century Canadian. The second grader, Cole, he says, Dad, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Uh, God is, uh, he's like 300 times 500 kilometers. 
Little five-year-old Tifton is very quiet, doesn't say much, and she says, Dad, they're all wrong. He said, God's as big as offenity. He said, what's offenity? Dad, Buzz, Lightyear, offenity and beyond. You know, kids have an understanding of how big God is. How big is your God? Jesus walks up to this guy and he says, do you want to be well? And this uh, man says, sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Now, life is all about him. Struggling with his disability for so long, everything revolves around him. I have no one to help me when I'm trying to get in. Someone goes ahead of me. Notice all the I's and me's. Now, it reminds me of a song by country singer Toby Keith back in 2001. And as he's singing this song, the whole song, he's lamenting how his girl is always talking about her issues. And his chorus is this. I want to talk about me. I want to talk about I. I want to talk about number one, oh my, me, my. What I think, what I like, what I know, what I want, what I see. I like talking about you, you, you usually. But occasionally I want to talk about me. I want to talk about me. Yeah, so do we hear all the me pronouns in this man's reply to Jesus? It's my sickness. It's my healing. I need to get well. No one will help me get down into the water. His disability had gotten so big, he couldn't see that Jesus was standing right in front of him. Right in front of him. No words can describe how big God is. Psalm 33 says, by the word of Yahweh, were the heavens made their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the water of the seas into jars, for he spoke and it came to be. He simply used his breath and spoke things into existence. He didn't need a template, he just spoke and it was. He spoke and the heavens were made. He spoke and the earth was made. Animals, exotic animals, sea life, weird animals. God is in control. He owns everything. He's the star of the show. He is the CEO. You and I don't own anything at all. It is all his. And he knows exactly how many hairs we have on our head or used to have on our head. He doesn't worry. He is self-existent. He is all-powerful. There's nothing he cannot do. He is the creator of everything. He is the sustainer of the universe. He is the God that lives deep inside of who we are. And he is the God who can help us overcome our problems. God is bigger than all of your problems. God is bigger than anything you can throw at him. I want to talk about me. I want to talk about I. I want to talk about number one. Oh my, me, my. But pastor, you don't know how bad my pain is. How big is your God? You don't know how bad my divorce was. Well, how big is your God? You don't know about my past. Well, how big is your God? You don't know how long I've been struggling with this addiction. Well, how big is your God? What is God telling you to do? Jesus looks at this guy after he winds off a bunch of excuses. And Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. Jesus didn't ask him, he told him, he said, get up. 
And because he obeyed what God was asking him to do, he experienced the miraculous. He was able to walk, he was able to run, he was able to swim, he was able to climb, all because he obeyed what God was asking him to do. Obedience precedes the miraculous. But so many of us aren't interested in the obedience thing. We're just interested in the obedience of God. God, take this thing away from me. God, I've got this party coming up in two months. I need you to take off six inches right about here. God, would you put $2,000 into our accounts so we can make the month balance? God, would you just take this addiction away from me? You know, a common theme spread throughout Scripture is obedience precedes the miraculous. God told Moses, take off your sandals. And because he took off his sandals, he led the children of Israel out of slavery. God told Noah, go build yourself an ark, even though everybody was making fun of him. But because he obeyed, we're sitting in this room today. He told Naaman, the Syrian general, go dip seven times in the Jordan River. He was a leper. His skin was falling off. He obeyed and he was healed. Jesus told Peter, come to me on the water. Peter obeyed, the miraculous happened, and he walked on the water. He told the blind man, go wash the mud on your eyes off. Because he obeyed, he was able to see. Obedience proceeds the miraculous. So what is God telling you to do? Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. We have to become people that are intently listening to the voice of God. What is he saying to you? What is he asking you to do? Follow him, no matter how hard, no matter how tough. Follow him where he's asking you to go and you will see the miraculous in your life. Just like our two girls this morning, they're listening to God's voice who says, follow me in the waters of baptism. That's sometimes a pretty big challenge for people. Pretty big challenge to kind of say, I, I want to do this. I want to say I'm following Jesus. What's God telling you to do? Not asking. What is he telling you to do? Maybe he's telling you to go to someone and ask for forgiveness or to give forgiveness. Maybe he's telling you to push the plate away. Is he telling you to tithe? Is he telling you to tear up your credit cards? Is he telling you to walk away from your addiction? Is he telling you to spend some time with him? Or maybe he's telling you to spend more time with your kids. Or is he telling you to invest in your marriage and be authentic and real and absolutely truthful? Or is he telling you to get involved in ministry? Begin to do what God is telling you to do and see the miraculous explode in your life. Now, some want to hear cool, miraculous miracle stories, but others are in desperate need of a miracle, struggling with a disability in their life, perhaps struggling for years and ready to walk away from it. Jesus can change you in the midst of your struggle. God is bigger than your problem. He is the creator. He loves you. He cares about you. We need to be obedient and do what he's telling us to do. No more choices, no more options. Yes, God, no matter what, I will follow you. Whatever it is, I will be obedient. It is then that you're going to see the miraculous begin to explode in your life. Do you really want to get well? Because Jesus can heal you no matter what you are dealing with. Maybe you're a Christ follower, but maybe you're struggling right now. It happens. 
You're struggling with intimacy with him. Maybe you're struggling being a good parent, struggling with addictions or struggling with control, maybe struggling with lust or with honesty or with self-esteem. And you desperately need a fresh touch from God. I want to pray for you right now. Father, I pray that you would just change us and walk with us through this time. I come to you right now and I pray for a miracle. We have people that are hurting and people that are struggling and people that are not living for you. And I ask that you would bring healing and the miraculous into their lives. Amen.